Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, The Mirror's Darren Lewis and TalkSport's football commentator and transfer man, Alex Crook. Coming up, Bournemouth about to get some va-va-voom, but will Thierry Henry make an impact as he switches Montreal for the South Coast? The Merseyside Derby is the centrepiece of a thrilling weekend of live football on TalkSport that also brings you sullen and sulking Southampton against a chugging along nicely Chelsea and Fulham's big clash with the Blades. It's hammer time for Mourinho. As Spurs relive October's mishaps, will it be a nightmare on Green Street for Jose? Also this week, Arteta tries to outgun Manchester City, Crook moans about Solskjaer again, and Darren Lewis says Liverpool are 30 points off where they were last year because of Everton. All on the podcast that, like Carlo Ancelotti, likes playing away from home. It was better away than home. Uh, I was going to ask you, actually, even though it's only just over there, not too far away from us, is it actually sort of a relief to no, be away from Goodison Park? No, you have to consider away. <laughs> it's, it's away. away. Yeah, definitely. It's away. It's away. <laughs> Don't worry, Carlo. It's away. Definitely. Yes, it's the game day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Shall we start with a very quick Thierry Henry update? Because you two have been working on this story, obsessing over Thierry Henry. I mean, I don't know if he's his va-va-vroom, but is he coming to, to England to be a manager after unprecedented success as manager of Monaco and Montreal? What's happening? Who's more obsessed with Thierry Henry, me and Darren, or the Bournemouth chief executive Neil Blake? That's the, the, the big question. <laughs> um, I think it is happening, uh, and Darren will back this up. Uh, Thierry Henry, very much the front runner now. We spoke last week about another former Arsenal legend, Patrick Vieira. He seems to have disappeared completely from the wayside. David Wagner is on a two-man shortlist along with Henry. But I think he's a distant second. Henri is the man they really want and believe can take them back into the Premier League this season. It's going to be fascinating to see how that pans out because as a player, I doubt Thierry Henry could point to Bournemouth on a map. Uh, I don't think he ever played there, did he? No, I don't. Wouldn't think have thought so. No, no, no. Um, but okay, let's uh, let's assess him as a manager then, Darren. Good appointment, bad appointment for Bournemouth. Bournemouth obviously Not went down me. the number two route uh, with Jason Tindall after Eddie Howe left. Well, first of all, I think Bournemouth have gone far too early in sacking Jason Tindall. His overall record appeared to be pretty good. If you give a guy a job, you don't just sack him after six months. They weren't exactly bottom of the league. They were in contention for a playoff place. And 
it just seemed to me that they were never really convinced if you're prepared to throw him overboard at the first sign of trouble. It's hard to assess Henri because he hasn't had a job, a managerial job in English football, and he's had two very brief stints, one at Montreal and the other one, of course, at Monaco. Things didn't go well for him at Monaco, but then there are a lot of managers for whom things hadn't gone well in their previous jobs and have come into the Premier League and done well. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see. This is the championship though, isn't it? I mean, it's not surroundings he's used to. No, it's not. It's not. But sometimes we can be quite insular and myopic in, in, in English football and believe that it's the tried and trusted names that can do the job rather than somebody going in and getting a reaction from the players, all of whom, let's not kid ourselves, will respect Henri for what he did as a player. It will be a question of whether he can get his ideas across quickly and effectively that will deter you know, because listen, my understanding is that when Jason Tindall first started out, the players were all very happy with him. They all liked training. They were all very on board. And then by the end, when things weren't going well, they were all complaining about him behind his back and they were all uh, moaning about training. And That doesn't they, sound like footballers to me. <laughs> well, I don't know quite. where you've got that from. <laughs> but it just shows how quickly things can turn if you don't get players on board. And that's what Henri is going to have to do very, very quickly. But I think some people are playing their cards close to their chest, but I think we could see a resolution to this sooner rather than later. Let's just say that. The reigning champions have their hearts crushed on Valentine's weekend. Liverpool have lost again. The only way out of the situation is to play good football, to fight. Mane has gone in, pass to Bumacano. It's a chance for 2-0, which he's taken. And Liverpool have transformed this tie. Carlo is a, is a sensational manager. This team looks really, really good. Calvert-Lewin past the goalkeeper, an equaliser in stoppage time for Everton. Liverpool, as usual, is a fantastic team. We have to be confident to be able to show in the game our quality. Comes back to Hamas Rodriguez, oh. who scores an absolutely brilliant goal. It's the Merseyside derby and it's only on TalkSport. Live on TalkSport this Saturday, it's Liverpool against Everton with Steve McMahon and Kevin Ratcliffe in the commentary box alongside me at Anfield. Um, It's part of uh, game day and game day brings you three live commentaries back to back to back this weekend. Um, Liverpool start this weekend, hold the back page. In sixth position, 16 points behind Manchester City, two points back from Chelsea in fourth. Um, Look, they've won three, lost five uh, of their last 11 league matches. They were better in midweek against RB Leipzig. But one of the the, the things that sort of worries me most, Darren, I don't know whether or not you you think this as well. I was at Leicester last Saturday. Klopp was saying to me afterwards, recent performance has actually been quite good, really, to be honest with you. They've been very good. Um, and for 80 minutes against Leicester, they, they were. They really were. But one thing went wrong and then the collapse came. You know, I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. There's been a lot of hysteria around Liverpool. And the facts are, and everybody knows what the facts are, it was this fixture earlier this season that basically destabilised their season. And nobody wants to say it. Everybody says, oh, you moan too much. Oh, you're mentioning Everton again. And it's a complete distortion of reality because the fact is you took out the best player in Liverpool's defence, the guy who's had a transformative effect on the team, the club, their standing, because he's been able to solve a problem that they were unable to solve for years. 
Is that true? Because they had already lost 7-2 to Aston Villa the week before. Yeah, of course it was true, Sam, because, pe- again, people are pointing to that, but look at last summer. Look at the, the chaos that we had last summer with players out with COVID, with interrupted pre-season. I mean, that wasn't a pre-season, was it? You look at the players and, all, and the All start, 20 clubs went through the same thing, Darren. I Absolutely. Mean, and look at the picture in the Premier League. You know, you look at the problems that Manchester City had during the first half of the season. Now, why are Man City where they are? Because of their defence. Because they've got the most clean sheets in the Premier League. Mm. Because they've been the most stable side in relation to the back five. So much so that if you took out Diaz, you could put in Laporte. And Stones is a better player this season as well. I also think Manchester City are there, unlike Liverpool, because they found a degree of flexibility. They've had injuries at the opposite end of the pitch. They've been without Sergio Aguero, arguably their greatest ever striker all season. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne has been injured as well. So Pep Guardiola, to his credit, has had the foresight to realise, look, we can't play the way that I really want us to play. We're going to have to be more attritional. We're going to have to build from the back. I'm not sure Jurgen Klopp has done that. And we've praised their recruitment and their scouting department and their signings in recent years. But I think they've let them down as well. Van Dijk has been injured for a long time now. They've signed two makeshift defenders, knowing that neither of them really have got a long-term future at Anfield. Would they not have been better off going out and buying a tried-and-tested, top-class central defender to actually provide competition for Virgil van Dijk when he returns from injury? No, no, I, I, I disagree with all of that. The first <laughs> of all, I think, <laughs> if you look at City, Aguero's not been available all season. But there are other players who could score goals. In in defence, they've got quality. You, you are talking about defenders, each of whom are 50 million plus each. So, and, and that's minimum. You are talking about quality all the way through that back line. But we sat here at the beginning of the season looking at the Liverpool squad and said it was light and needed more investment before the start of the campaign. So Jurgen Klopp must have sat there and looked and, and thought the same thing, right? But here's the thing. I talked about this fixture, the reverse fixture earlier this season and losing Van Dyke. How many Virgil Van Dykes are there in world football? Yeah, but you've still got to plan for the fact that he might be injured. Injuries happen in football. I mean, yeah, it, of course, and you can get another player, but maybe the player they wanted wasn't available last summer. Maybe he wasn't available in January. And maybe it might be that they had to wait. And the only reason why they went so late in the January transfer window is because they realised we got no Matip. We've got to do something. We've got to do something. That's why it makes you... You guys are going like Jurgen Klopp's got his fingers over his eyes and he hasn't got a clue. Not not at all, but I think it's pretty clear that Fabinho isn't a central defender, so let's not put him in the ranks. Matip was a central defender but gets injured every two minutes, and I think we all know that. Virgil van Dijk has been there for a while and he's reliable and solid. Joe Gomez is too. Yes, they've lost both those two. But if you go into a season with only three fit centre-backs, as Manchester City did the previous year, as soon as one gets injured, you're in massive, massive trouble and you're overloading the other. Absolutely. But the fact is that what Liverpool do is by quality at the moment and they're prepared to wait for quality just like they did with Virgil van Dijk and I remember that season that January when they bought van Dijk because the preceding summer they didn't buy anybody and the first two months of the season they were throwing points away yeah. and people were saying and, and that's true and that's true their, their recruitment is great Darren 
any the, defender. Their recruitment why are has they been waiting great. for Virgil van Dijk? And then when they bought him, everybody saw why. And yeah. we rewrite history far too often. No, in we all accept that. But that doesn't mean that the reason that they haven't reclaimed their title or defended their title or the reason that they are 30 points worse off this season than they were last season is because Everton took out their central defender. It does. It does. I'm sorry. It does. And I'm going to stand by that. Because if on if Van Dyke plays, not only do they get to a point, I, I'm not bothered about the first few months of the season. I'm not bothered about 7-2 Aston Villa because at that stage, everybody was undercooked. Not just Liverpool, everybody. We were seeing unpredictable results in that first couple of months of the season. And anybody says that wasn't the case is a liar. Now, the second thing is that when you play Van Dyke, he's got the ability to ping balls that shift defences, particularly the ones that park the bus at the bottom end of the table from side to side and players are able to get in behind. You can take star strikers out of a football team, but when you take out transformative defenders from a back line, you see what the impact is. And that's what's happened to Liverpool. Everything else is just noise. But Liverpool have been affected by Van Dijk's loss. So whatever happens this season, they won't panic. They'll know that in the summer, when they get him back, when they get uh, Joe Gomez back, they can start to go again next season. And it will be very interesting between them and City. Wish Darren would be a bit more passionate about this subject, to be honest. (laughs) I've I've almost forgotten who he supports. Um, Everton defended diligently for an hour against Manchester City in midweek, but are undone by greater quality. Everton have not won at Anfield since 1999, Kevin Campbell scoring. They've not won any of the derbies between these two teams since 2010. It's a run of 23 games, um, which sounds ludicrous, probably is. Uh, Can they do it this weekend? Can they go to Anfield and cause a shot? Because Carlo Ancelotti as you heard in the intro, loves playing away. Yeah, a a couple of weeks ago, I'd have said Everton have a great chance, would never have a better chance to end that Anfield hoodoo. And those comments probably are still relevant, but you have to look at the last two games. You said they played well against Manchester City, was still well beaten. They weren't weren't great against Fulham. Um, That was a a shock to the system. Um, I guess we're hoping, if you're an Everton fan, that Dominic Calvert-Lewin will be back because you talk about game-changing players and, and irreplaceable players. I think the last two games have proved that he is certainly one of them, so that will give them a better chance. But I was impressed with Liverpool in midweek, albeit against an average Leipzig side. And I think anybody in the Premier League looking at Upa Meccano um, may, be, may have come away from that game feeling they'd escaped him uh, because he wasn't great, was he? So... <laughs> Am I confident Everton can go there and win even with Liverpool's poor Premier League form? Possibly not on the basis of what we've seen in midweek. Prior to that, Friday night sees Wolverhampton Wanderers take on Leeds, 8 o'clock. Injuries affected Leeds uh, in the Arsenal game. Click Rodrigo, Cock, Calvin Phillips, big absentees. That said, they're still able to raise themselves, aren't they? It doesn't matter what game they're playing. Even when they're 4-0 down, they can still come back and cause you an issue. Um, Wolves fans absolutely livid. Absolutely livid uh, with the FA Cup exit. Did the subsequent victory over Saints placate their supporters, do you think? No, I don't think it did. And actually, I commentated that game for, for TalkSport International. My opening gambit was how much of a disgrace it was, uh, Nuno's team selection in that FA Cup game. Because well, let's nice be to honest, see everyone sitting on the fence today. Well, let's be honest. Wolves are not going down. So that they're safe in the Premier League. They're not going to challenge for Europe via that route. Why not? have a go at the FA Cup. Why make six changes against the Southampton side on such a dreadful run? So I don't think that league win does placate Wolves fan. What's the point? What's the aim for their season now? To finish 14th? It's about as good as they can hope for. 
I, I don't understand it at all. And, and let's be honest, they wouldn't have won the league game, but for a shocking handball call by the officials. Yeah, I Never agree. in a million years was that a penalty and it completely knocked Southampton off their stride and, and gave Wolves the, the you know, the, the linchpin back into the game, the ability to go and take all three points. I must admit, I thought that was a, an absolute game changer, that handball decision. And it was such a, I mean, I think if you really drill down into the nuances of the law, you can possibly make a case for giving it. But I mean, morally, I mean, you've got to, you've got to go and get in a shower after giving that penalty. Seriously. Wash it's hard. It's, it's hard. People say, oh, there was still enough time in the game to get back in it. But as a player, when you're on a poor run of form anyway, you've got a 1-0 lead, you've got a fantastic goal, and you think, actually, this could be a springboard to go and get the win. The wind was visibly knocked out of their sounds by that decision. And and it's, it was said on the podcast, I think it was Darren Ambrose on Sunday, said these things even themselves out. I'm yeah. not convinced that's true. Well, not, not during yeah. the game, they certainly don't. Leeds have just won three of their last eight away games. Are they starting to, to feel the effects of not only the, the situations we mentioned with COVID-19 and the amount of games that are coming round, taking their toll on their players, but also the way that Marcella Bielsa asked them to play. Yes, in a word. Um, it's very high intensity. Uh, they're human. It takes a lot out of you. And I, I looked at them. It's a weird one, actually, because on the one hand, I, 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 I make that point. And then on the other, I think back to the Arsenal game that I was at last weekend. And <laughs> they finished very strongly in that game. Very strongly. So it, I think the one thing that will be interesting about this match is whether Meslier plays because he had a shocker last weekend. He had an absolute shocker. Uh, if it were not for him, Arsenal would not have had... In fact, he was at fault for the first three goals. His kick out to Bellerin started yeah. a move that ended up with a ball beating Matt's near post. Uh, the second, game, second goal, he uh, dithered on a ball out that he was going to pass to Cooper and then he changed his mind and then Saka robbed him and he brought Saka down. And then the third one, he was beaten at his near post. So I think Meslia, he's only 20 and I said in my He's a match, young goalkeeper, isn't he? Yeah. Exactly. And I said, I don't want to hammer he's him. He's about 15. He's just, a, <laughs> he's just a boy. But these are these mistakes are costing Leeds points. Dear, maybe dear. it might be worth him taking him out of the firing line. The problem is that his number two is not much better. So there's a bit of a dilemma as far as Bielsa is concerned. And it might well be that goalkeeper is very much a position that he focuses on in the summer when he does a bit of transfer business. Southampton, the Premier League gloom deepens for them. It's now six straight Premier League defeats and that is an unwanted club record. We have to find a quick the reset button to, to show that we can do it much better and uh, this is what we will have to do. Ings on the volley with a stunning finish for Southampton. What happened in the last six games was not always that we were always playing bad. Five wins in all competitions in a row now for Thomas Tuchel's side. Chelsea 2, Newcastle 0. There are many teams behind us chasing us. It stays a big, big challenge because there's many games coming. Marks Alonso juggles the ball and then volley it into the net. What a goal from Marcus Alonso. I can feel a strong group with a strong bond and a, and a very good atmosphere. Live on TalkSport at 12.30 Saturday with Clive Tilsley and Alvin Martin. It's Southampton against Chelsea. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has steadied the Chelsea ship almost to a point where um, they're not exactly exciting to watch, just reliable. I wonder if that was uh, his feeling too, which is why he ended up picking Kepa the other night, fancied a little bit of jeopardy. 
<laughs> I think he's come out after that game and said that um, Mendy is going to be his number one now. I think it was just to give uh, Kepper a bit of game time. He promised when he came in that he would evaluate the whole squad. I think he's done that. I think he's probably just about used um, everyone at his disposal. But you're right, they're not exciting, uh, but they're efficient, um, classically German in some ways. But you go into games now as a Chelsea fan, confident that they aren't going to lose. And I think with Frank Lampard, there was always a bit of an element of the unexpected. You never quite knew what you were going to get. That isn't the case with Chelsea. And I think they're in a good position uh, to take that fourth Champions League place. Um, I fancy them actually to, to qualify for that competition. And I fancy them to win this game because Southampton on this wretched run of form, six successive league defeats, still without several key players and Carl Walker-Peters is going to be struggling for this game. That's a massive loss. No Walcott as well. Ralph Hasen, who wants them to play with such intensity that inevitably, if you use a small squad, particularly in this congested season, that is going to catch up on you. And I think that's what's happened. I mean, I don't know how many times we've said this. We said this with Wolverhampton Wanderers and Southampton. You know, if you, if you want to play at a level of intensity, but with a tiny squad. This is not the season to restrict yourself to small numbers in terms of the number of bodies that you've got that you can use. And I think that's been proved right with Wolves and with Southampton uh, this year. Uh, Southampton have lost six in a row. Uh, any other manager would be under a little bit more scrutiny, I think, after losing 9-0 and then failing to really recover uh, from that. But he's got not a free pass, but he's got money in the bank, I think, with the owners who probably can't afford to sack him anyway. Um, let's just have a quick word about Chelsea, Darren, because I think they they do lack a little bit of adventure now. They're not as exciting. Thomas Tuchel came in saying, I love aesthetics. I love watching beautiful, exciting football. Uh, there is a bit, as Crook says, of, of almost like you just expect them to just turn up, roll over the teams they're expected to turn over, and that's it. But the key thing is, is that they're about to get some bigger tests, aren't they? Because they've played teams that you would expect them to beat up until now. This weekend, they have Southampton. You'd expect them to win that. But then they've got the Champions League game against Atleti, who are top of La Liga. And we might see what he's made of during that period. Yeah, it's interesting. Let's go draw in their last couple of games. Uh, they're six points clear of Real Madrid, but they're blowing the opportunities to build on that lead. So it might be, I wouldn't say the wheels are coming off Atletico, but... Maybe they might not be as tough as we think. That said, let's focus on Southampton. And the way I look at Chelsea is the way I look at City. As they started that run, that's now led to 17 wins on the spin, which is that at the start of it, they were very unremarkable. They were literally just churning out wins. And they, yeah. you, as I've said many times on the pod, you don't get extra marks for artistic impression. You know, you, you, you basically just have to get the win under your belt. And but it's more fun, isn't it, if you've got a little bit of that? Oh, absolutely. But it's still only three points. <laughs> and and I think they were spectacular last season. I often mention that stat around, I think it was 17 times last season, they scored three goals or more. Um, this season, they've, they've had a lot of one nils and two nils. They've started to find their stride with a bit more um, gravy in terms of goals scored. But I think Chelsea are looking to do that as well. Just keep chalking off the wins. Just get yourself into a Champions League place. For all the problems they had, and remember, they were ninth when Lampard took over. They're now just four points off joint second, Leicester and Manchester United, with every chance of overtaking them because there's enough games and enough points left. I think they're fine. And I think they'll probably now, it's brutal to say it, but they'll probably now regret not pulling the trigger on Lampard sooner. 
Quick word on Burnley versus West Brom because that kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday after we've uh, had our big game day start with Southampton against Chelsea. Uh, Burnley's draw in midweek keeps Fulham at sort of arm's length, but they will be favourites to uh, take out West Bromwich Albion who have won just one game away from home all term. The only problem here, Alex, is that Burnley... Chris Wood's had a hamstring issue. He's 50-50. Goodmundson's got a thigh problem. Ben Mee had concussion. Vidra can't play. And they don't have a terrifically deep squad themselves. No, we saw that at the end of last season, didn't we, when they were unable to fill a bench and, and putting kids on the bench. But they're on a good run, quietly, Burnley. That fantastic win at Crystal Palace when they almost doubled their goal tally in one afternoon and then following up with... Uh, an important draw for them because if Fulham had won that game, it would have dragged them back into trouble. But as you say, they just keep that daylight between them and the bottom three. West Brom played well against Man United. Could have won the game, actually. Missed some big chances, but they're just running out of matches, aren't they, under Big Sam. Draws are no good to them. They need wins. I'm not convinced they're going to get one here. I fancy Burnley will have enough to at least not lose. Keep on running. Keep on hiding. Flicked onto the near post and he's into the back of the net. And it's a goal. They're working tirelessly in this division to try and get results and try and improve. And um, as long as we have that, we have a chance. Fulham can get out of the bottom three if they can replicate this kind of performance because it was absolutely outstanding. And we now go to Sheffield United. Let's go and win this game. Let's go and beat Sheffield United. Let's take seven points this week, which will be a massive week for us. We're deep into injury time here. It's now West Ham three, Sheffield United nil. If we uh, make the mistakes that we did tonight, there's no chance for us. That's me being honest and realistic. You know, we have to do so much better. The 10 men of Sheffield United have taken the lead and it's Jaden Bogle. We have to play quicker, we have to speed the play up, we have to find a result from somewhere. This is a huge match at the bottom of the table. It's live on TalkSport Saturday night, 8 o'clock UK time. TalkSport 2, Fulham versus Sheffield United. I think I heard another uh, Scott Parker mashup in midweek. Did anyone hear that? I love these. A bit like uh, the Charlie Austin Park lives. Scott Parker to the streets, uh, bemoaning a lack of goals, I think, this time around. I, I know he did a streets one after the, the playoff final, but they're always funny. Um, look, they've got to seize this opportunity, haven't they? Because by Sunday night, if they want to stay up, Fulham, they need to be within three points of Newcastle. And that is a realistic ambition, Darren Lewis. Yeah, I think they've had 10 draws so far this season. They just can't find that cutting edge in front of goal. And I think the Burnley game was a chance missed because they conceded and then they switched off to, uh, sorry, they scored and then they switched off to concede. And the goal that they conceded was utterly avoidable. Josh Marja has made a difference since coming in, but I think there are other players in that team that have got to be more clinical in front of goal. I, I know you said, Alex, that you... Sorry, I can't call Alex Crook. You, you keep saying Crook, yeah, and I, I much prefer Alex. Is that Thank right? you, Darren. Very respectful. Thank you. Bro. Unlike Sam. Crook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's all over for Fulham. No, I think me neither. I think it is now. I, I have to accept that. I did think Sheffield United could do it, but they've after a brief revival, they've lost their way. But for Fulham, if they'd won against Burnley at Burnley they would have been three points behind Newcastle. As it is, they're five points behind. And I don't trust Newcastle. I don't trust I, Newcastle. Because they're going to no. lose on Sunday against Manchester United, right? Uh, and, yeah. and, and Fulham... You sure? If Fulham win against Sheffield United, the gap is three points. But also, the idea that it's over 
with 14 games still to play madness. Is, 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 is madness to me because Newcastle, not only have they got to play New, uh, Manchester United, they've got to play Wolves. Do you trust them to beat Wolves? Not really. Do you trust no. them to beat West Brom? No. Uh, do you trust them to beat Aston Villa? No. Do you trust them to beat Brighton? No. Do you trust them to beat Tottenham? No. I mean, and their last few games of the season, Newcastle, are Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, Manchester City, Sheffield United, and then on the final day of the season, Fulham. We measure this um, by how many items of clothing I'm wearing, okay? I said I'd go naked if Sheffield United stayed up. I'm pretty confident I won't have to do that. I'll go as far as to say I'll do a podcast topless if Fulham stay up. I think they needed to win all three of these games. And the trouble is, when you start the season as bad as they did, and they've definitely improved, and Scott Parker takes credit for that because I think he's learned as he's gone along, you don't leave yourself a margin for error. They're in a situation now where they need to win half of the games they've got left and hope Newcastle don't win again. I just don't think it's going to happen. Possibly. I don't think, I don't think it is just two wins. I mean, I think Fulham can run them closer. I, yeah, I, think, so I don't think Fulham had to worry about anybody else, just catch Newcastle. Mm. And look, I hope both clubs stay out. In an ideal world, they're both good clubs, both big clubs. You'd love them to to stay out. But I, I just think Fulham, for me, there is more heart and determination in that side than there is in the Newcastle And also side. they've developed as the season has gone on. Maybe they've developed a little bit too late, but Scott Parker has recognised the problems, solved the problems, and then put plans in place to, to, to make things right. And I think that should be applauded because when you're a coach at the Great. bottom of the table who's just been promoted for the championship, they, they weren't the best team in the championship last season by any stretch of the imagination. You know, they weren't even the third best team in the championship last season, really. But they got up through the playoffs after beating Brentford on the night because he came up with a system and, and came up with a, a mechanism to beat Brentford on that evening. And the similar sort of approach in the, in the Premier League, he started with a, with a group of players. He thought, this ain't going to work. Get rid of that back four, rebuild it, stop conceding goals. They did that. They've kept four clean sheets at the cottage. For a team that are bottom of the table, that is, or in the bottom three, that's, that's pretty pretty impressive you know they've turned a lot of those defeats that they were expecting into draws now they've just got to find the recipe can they get that done in the final third of the season if they can do that they've got a great chance of staying up Mitrovic has got COVID he's not going to be available Um, but um, Sheffield United not exactly the most expansive team in the world might give Fulham an opportunity uh, to go on and build from here we shall find out Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. 
With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. What a goal, you know, what a moment to, to do it and uh, by the way, nothing more than we deserve. We're deep into injury time here, it's now West Ham 3, Sheffield United nil. as their impressive campaign continues. I've always felt that, you know, my job's to do that and be up the top. I've certainly got a group that can give me a chance and uh, we're going to try and keep pushing on. Jose Mourinho came with a plan, he was outgunned really throughout the game. It's been Manchester City's day yet again. I don't feel any pressure, I feel big responsibility and it's much better than pressure. It's all inside the penalty area and it's 2-0 to Tottenham. Should we move on to West Ham against Tottenham Sunday live on TalkSport 12 o'clock with Nigel Adderley and Dean Ashton. Uh, hammer time for Jose as Tottenham get to relive their October nightmare. Spurs are in dreadful, dreadful form, aren't they? I mean, David Moyes admitted that even he was surprised by West Ham's form. So so who wins this one? I mean, four defeats in five games for Jose Mourinho. I think the difference is the outlook of the two clubs. And if you look at the negativity surrounding West Ham at the start of the season, that's all been swept away. And David Moyes, for me, is a contender for manager of the season, for managing to turn around that situation and get West Ham now. As Darren was one of the first to predict, by the way, into a position where they can gen- genuinely launch a challenge for European football. We both mocked him when he said that earlier in the season, but he's been proved exactly right and he's enjoying that as he's smoking an imaginary 14 cigar. games. 14 games left of the season. 14 he's kisses at me. Um, Tottenham started the season with positivity. Darren Ambrose on Darren Ben's boot room was touting them during this very game as title contenders with 10 minutes to go. By the time it had finished, he wasn't convinced they'd finish in the top four. And I don't think they will now. And the negativity around Tottenham from the fans towards Jose Mourinho, from Jose Mourinho to his own players, I think is a problem. And I think if West Ham go into this game with a positive attitude, with the right mindset... I think it could be another very difficult afternoon for Spurs. Harry Kane being back in the team obviously helps, but there's still a team that, to me, that looks like they can see too many goals and create too fewer chances, and that's a that's a real problem. Jesse Lingard starred uh, during Monday night's win over Sheffield United. Have they found a way, Darren, to operate without Mikel Antonio? Look, he's on his, on his way back, but Lingard rotating with Bowen and Lanzini that looked really good to me. Yeah, that forward line is fluid. It's got goals in it. It's got creativity in it but most of all it's got graft and that is the minimum requirement to get into David Moyes' West Ham team which is why at the start of the season we didn't see and uh, Felipe Anderson we didn't see Yarmolenko I think both of those will be sold at the first opportunity because he wants grafters and all of those players in that team are grafters I think for them to be able okay Sheffield United but you know they took the opportunity that they knew was staring them in the face to go forth by beating Sheffield United the other day and they did it really well. And given that they didn't get a striker in the window, they need they needed that kind of fluidity up front, but the ability to be clinical in front of goal that Lingard gives them. I think they'll be better for what happens this season because they'll get another striker. I know that they intend to go big 
on a striker in the summer. And who are they after, Darren? Who are they after? Well, they like the severe striker El Nasri, uh, El Nasiri. El Nasiri, yeah. That correctly. Um, but he, they'd have to pay in excess of £30 million for him. Uh, there are a couple of strikers in France that they like as well. They're, they've they've had a, their fingers in a number of pies, but they do want to get somebody who's going to be a 20-goal-a-season man. And they're being very, very careful about the, the way that they select whoever it's going to be after getting their fingers burnt badly with Haller. But I think, well, I know that the plan at West Ham is whatever they do this season, they want to make sure it's not a flash in the pan. And that's what happened after 15-16, 2015-16 under uh, Bilic, where Payet got them into a European place. And then the following season, they were so bad that they were fighting relegation again. And that's what they don't want to happen. They want this season to be the foundations of something quite lasting. Aston Villa against Leicester is Sunday, two o'clock. Are we taking Leicester seriously enough, Darren? Um, since September 2019, Leicester have spent only one match day weekend outside the top four. Since September 2019, that's nearly 18 months. You know, we did this last week and I said last week that with Leicester don't get anywhere near the respect that they deserve. And I'll say it again um, because I think everyone expects them to dip out of the top four at some stage. Everyone thinks they're there for the take and everyone thinks that without Vardy, they're not that good. Everyone thinks that every time they lose, that's going to be the beginning of uh, a malaise that's going to end up with them toppling out of the Champions League places. But they're there to stay and they're proving it. They've got goal scores. Nacho stepped up when Vardy hasn't been available. And Madison, in particular, has shown that he is pure gold. And so, yes, I don't think they get the credit they deserve. And I think they'll win this game. Uh, Aston Villa have been a bit inconsistent. That probably sort of uh, lends itself to what Darren was saying there. They, their last 10 have been 1-3, drawn 2, lost 5. Um, a lot of that is to do with the fact that the quality of the opposition has been quite high as well that they've come up against, Crook. Yeah, and also, like Southampton, like Wolves, Dean Smith this season has preferred to rely on a small core of players. I think up until the Brighton game at the weekend, they'd only made 21 alterations to their starting eleven across the season. So, as you said earlier, it's, it's a difficult season to maintain that without going deep into your squad. But I'm not as convinced as Darren. This will be a, a, an easy win for Leicester. At this stage, I'd like to declare my love for Emmy Martinez as a goalkeeper. Well, we haven't um, heard as that. As a bloke. Uh, as, a, as a bloke. We've never heard well, that I know before. That you, you like to beat goalkeepers on this programme and I like to big them up. And um, I think Martinez is going to be a big barrier for Leicester. Brighton had 26 shots on goal last weekend and couldn't find a way past him. So... They're going to have to work very hard. At this stage, I'd like to uh, help declare an interest on Crook's behalf. There was an interview one Friday afternoon. It was at the end of January. And Alex Crook, just ahead of a huge commentary game where he was covering Aston Villa, got the opportunity to speak to Emmy Martinez for the first time. Emmy Martinez said to him during that interview that when he looks at Jack Grealish longingly across the training ground at Bodymore Heath, he sees a player almost as skillful as Lionel Messi. Grabbing hold of his notebook very quickly, Alex Crook started to write the headlines for the following day, only to get shot down by the Aston Villa press office who asked him to take that bit out, please. After a long battle between Premier League talk sport and Aston Villa 
eventually that line was cleared and Alex Crook has spent the last 10 days trotting it out at every available moment and because he got a small victory he is now in love with said goalkeeper Good. And that's very about the good. long and short of it, really. Uh, I also think he's very good. Let's there's, there's, <laughs> not beat around the bush. I, I think he's my goalkeeper in the Premier League team of the year. There you go. There we are. Leicester scored eight goals versus Villa in the Premier League alone last season, so we'll see how good he is this time around because Jamie Vardy got half of them in a 4-0 win at home and a 4-1 win away. He's back in scoring, which can only help their pursuit of being in the top four, Darren. Well, yes and no. I mean, it seems obvious to say that his goals will help them, but that defensive strength will help them as well. They've got one of the best defences in the top 10, and that's been the platform for their rise up the table. The big problem for them has been that they've been blowing the games in hand that they've had. Um, and if they're taking advantage of those games in hand, they could be in the top six, maybe, maybe even in the top four already. I think they can't blow too many more. I think they've got two games in hand on the top four now. This yeah. is one of those games. They've got to win. They've got to win. If they lose, I, I I can see a situation where maybe they'll be marooned in mid, not marooned because it's snakes and ladders at the moment, but I think they'll see it as a big opportunity missed. Right, Sunday late on, we've got two massive games for two former championship contenders. Yes, Manchester United take on Newcastle. We'll get to that in just a second. And Arsenal take on Manchester City at 4.30 on Sunday. Relentless Manchester City. They're marching on. It's now 17 wins in a row. Do you want to check that, Crook? Just want to make sure that's right after last week's mishap there. Uh, and actually, the, uh, I've noted that down. You're correct. Yeah, uh, and they face an Arsenal side who uh, love a big opponent. It gets Arteta's Mourinho-inspired bus parking juices flowing, doesn't it? It does, and they did a job on Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final last season. And actually, Aubameyang finding form at just the right time when that first ever Arsenal hat-trick will give them a bit of a, a confidence boost. I know a few Arsenal fans are married to one, and uh, the father-in-law has been quite bullish this week. We're going to end Manchester City's winning run. They have to lose at some point. Why can't it be us? We did it last season. Probably isn't going to happen, John. Sorry. Well, Kevin De Bruyne is back, so um, yeah, that that weakens Manchester City. Um, Arteta does have uh, plenty of options in attack, but is this one for the older, wiser heads, Darren? I've said for a while now that I think it's the younger players in that Arsenal side that give them so much energy. That's why I asked you. Saka, yeah, I was about to say when when Saka doesn't play, they lose so much. Uh, when Smith Rowe doesn't play, they lose so much. Um, Martinelli, of course, has had his injury problems. But when he is back next season on a more regular basis, I think they'll be even better. We all know about Aubameyang's quality, but I think it's those players behind him. Because if they don't provide that ammunition... Look, listen, if you look at Saka, for his contribution in the second goal... This is against Leeds United, where he was actually sort of almost running the show. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie. I think City will win this game. Defensively, they're so strong and they have got goals from everywhere. And against Everton, they were popping it about like old school City. They look really to have their mojo back. And Arsenal just have got that propensity to shoot themselves in the foot because even, you know, when I think they were three, four nil up and 
uh, they still managed to concede a goal at a set piece and they also had poor marking for the second consolation as well. So I think City all day long, whatever positives we might be able to find in the Arsenal team, this is going to be a City win. City don't give you chances. That's the key thing, Crook, isn't it? Everton had two shots on goal on Wednesday night. This is a team whose 24-match unbeaten run has seen them concede just seven goals in that time. Um, They're physical now. They're big. They're massive. They're strong. They don't let you have the ball. They don't let you create anything. And Arsenal themselves haven't had a great record for, for scoring a bucket load of goals. I know Aubameyang helped himself to a hat-trick against Leeds, but Leeds do give you time and space. Down that inside left channel, which Aubameyang loves so much, City aren't going to afford him any room. And they've got this buffer now as well, Manchester City. They don't really need to force the game. Arsenal need the three points more than Pep Guardiola does because they're still hoping to, to gatecrash the European places. So the onus will be on Arsenal to come on to them if they do that, we know that Manchester City have the players on the counter-attack to pick them off at will. They rested a couple in midweek as well. John Stone's on the bench. Gunduan due to injury. If those two both come back, De Bruyne available, Aguero available. It, you know, it's 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 a galaxy uh, of riches, really. And it, it's very hard to see Manchester City's run coming to an end here. They outnumber you in key areas, pop the ball around so fast it can leave you out of shape so very quickly as Everton found to their cost on Wednesday night. Speaking to Pep, though, um, he said to me on uh, Wednesday evening, he's exhausted. He said he's absolutely exhausted. Don't stop to look at the table, he said. Don't look beyond what's next. Just keep going. He said there's too much football, but we have to keep going. Uh, Manchester United take on Newcastle, 7pm on Sunday. Uh, I would say we've left the best till last but anything involving Newcastle certainly isn't that uh, they uh, barely troubled Chelsea on Monday night uh, what, a Shelby free kick possibly we talked a bit about West Ham United and the way they found an attractive solution to their attacking problems they lost for example Mikel Antonio they didn't get another striker in the window so they used Lingard Lanzini and Bowen in a sort of rotation which caused other teams problem you don't see that in Newcastle United They've lost Callum Wilson. The sky has fallen in. Yeah, they tried playing with split strikers, didn't they, against Chelsea, which basically involved one standing on one touchline, the other on the other, hoping that Almiron could run through the middle. But they actually didn't really see much of the ball in the attacking third, so it was never going to work. As a pessimistic Manchester United fan, I'm slightly worried about this game because they've lost at home to Sheffield United. They've dropped points away at West Bromwich Albion. So they've been quite kind in recent weeks, the team struggling against relegation. Listen, if United bring their A game, they should win the game handsomely. Hasn't worked out that way too often for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season. So don't write off Newcastle completely. And of course, uh, Manchester United would have been distracted in midweek because they had Champions League action to worry about. Well, they should have had Champions League action to worry about. What, ha- what happened in midweek, by the way? So <laughs> RB Leipzig, the team that beat Manchester United and knocked them out of the Champions mm. League, rolled over by a, a Liverpool team in crisis. Not Darren would agree with that, but that is the fact of the matter. And then we see Maurizio Pochettino, the man who was desperate for the Old Trafford job, the man who should be on the touchline at Manchester United, masterminding a 4-1 win over Barcelona. I do apologise. I'm over it. I'm over it. Well, you're clearly not. Um, and I do apologise to everybody who's listening to this podcast. Both of my guests today clearly have spent far too much time on their own in their little houses. Uh, as a result of that, they're, they're getting their frustrations out this Thursday morning. 
Darren's looking at me as if I'm mad. He's like, little house. I'm the assistant mirror, uh, editor of the Daily Mirror. I've got like four wings, you know. And nine of United's 13 Premier League wins have been by a single goal. Their record against the other top sides in nine games this season is 1-1, drawn five, lost three. What does that tell us about Manchester United, Darren? That they can't cope with the pressure of being in a title-chasing position. I mean, they were top and everybody believed, here we go, everyone's written us off, we're going to answer the critics. And then they have worried themselves out of it. One win in five now is just not good enough. Listen, we gave them credit last week, didn't we? We said we have to respect their position. Mm. We have to respect the fact that even though people might write them off, they are in a position which could see them challenge for the title and put pressure on Manchester City. I think we kind of want them to put pressure on Manchester City because we don't want it to be a procession. Absolutely. And, you know, who doesn't like a strong Manchester United? But for them to go and turn in what they did against West Brom, that was a disgrace. Most Liverpool fans don't like a strong Manchester United. (laughs) <laughs> Listen, in my job, I have to be objective yeah. and I have to look at all of the positives. Do you know what I've been fascinated by is that you've almost been, you know, now you're the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror. You've been almost editing yourself as you've gone along. You've started to, you know, started a phrase. Oh, no, that doesn't work. Um, I'll, I'll use another one. If, any, if only everyone knew the edits that came out of this podcast, they'd realise how loose-lipped I can sometimes be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, listen, I, I just I'm disappointed by Manchester United because they're second on 46 points, but they should have so many more. And when they look at the teams against whom they've dropped points this season, they'll realise that they've just not been able to cope with the pressure of being in a title chasing position and you can have all the good players you can have your Bruno Fernandes and your Pogba's and your Rashford's and whatnot but if you haven't got that mentality then you're not going to do it and I think Chelsea by the end of the season probably will finish above Manchester United and they haven't got that mentality because the bloke in charge the bloke who gives the team talks relegated Cardiff got sacked because he couldn't bring them out of the championship and his only success was in a pub league was what in a pub league that's not very nice to all of our Norwegian listeners, is it? Uh, direct your complaints, please, to at Alex underscore crook. Um, and he will, uh, I mean, you, actually, just if you do send in a complaint to at Alex underscore crook, um, you're probably going to be in for a quite a long wait in terms of response because there is a uh, tidally formed queue of disgruntled supporters uh, that have also uh, made their feelings clear. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's been lovely to be with you today. Uh, We're back on Sunday night, so it'll be out Monday morning, won't it, the podcast this week, uh, to uh, review all the Premier League action, look ahead to uh, Monday's games and some of the midweek action as well. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Keep downloading and subscribing. Uh, Just go to iTunes, to Spotify, or to Acast. You can find us on the TalkSport app as well to all your friends about the game day preview podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on TalkSport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.